morning and welcome. It's good to see everybody on this cool November morning and we're getting closer to Thanksgiving and so I'm getting more and more excited about food and family and I'm mostly excited that we can gather here today and we can sing praises to the Lord and what a great reminder of who we belong to if we have a relationship with, with Jesus, that he is, he is with us and he transforms us and he is working in us and through us um, all the time and we are grateful for that. If you're here this morning and you're visiting, it's good to see you. If you're here and you're regular folk, it's good to have you join us as well. And if you're tuning in online, good morning. We're glad that you could um, be with us this morning as we, we worship together, as we take time to, to sing, as we take time to read from God's Word, to study God's Word together, and to pray together. Um, you may see down at the front, we have some red and green shoeboxes. Today is our shoebox collection day for Operation Christmas Child. I've already had a couple of folks tell me that they didn't quite get their boxes packed in time. There's still hope. We won't be taking those um, over to First Baptist Burleson until after lunch tomorrow afternoon. And um, if you happen to be by that way and you want to just drop it off, you can drop it off at First Baptist Burleson. That's the collection site. But we'll take time in a moment when we pray for these boxes, trusting that God is has a special destination for each and every box. As Operation Christmas Child blesses children with a simple gift and the good news about Jesus in over 160 countries around the world. Let me just highlight a couple of other opportunities. Next Sunday morning is our Harvest House Collection Sunday when we collect items that we provide to Harvest House so they can bless families that are in need in our community. So next time you're at the grocery store and pick up a couple of extra items and there are some specific items that are listed in the bulletin that they can always use to help um, feed families, especially during this holiday season when money may be a little bit tighter. And so that's next Sunday morning. Also coming up um, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, uh, Sunset Hill Tree Farm, we're having the old time Christmas and we are still in need of folks that... um, that can do, um, if, you're, if you're a musical person, would like to provide music and do some singing or, or play an instrument, um, there's a place for you. If you are at least an amateur actor and can do a little bit of acting, there is a hayride that tells the story of the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus, and there's places for you. If you can stand in a parking lot and tell cars where to park and where not to park, if you can stand at a gate, if you can just be there to be a warm, smiling face, there's a place for you to help. Um, and also just to, to let you know that, that part of the proceeds from that, that evening will, will benefit mission work um, in, in Africa and also mission work right here um, locally. And so it's not just a good time to get together. It's also a good way to tell the good story of Jesus, but it's also an excellent way to help work together if you raise money to support mission work here and around the world. And then one last thing, you may have, you may see it in the bolter, you may see a jar out there that has some, some change in it. Um, if you have extra change in your pocket and you want to just drop it in there, um, that is a, a passive way to uh, raise funds for our, for our youth group. So if you have a, a penny or a quarter or a nickel or something of that nature and you want to donate it to the youth group, just drop it in there as you pass by and that will be a blessing as we, uh, we look at activities for the remainder of this year and for um, next year as well. I want us to take time this morning to read from Ephesians chapter 4 before we pray and 
receive our offering. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'll start reading in verse 17 and read down through verse number 24. Ephesians 4, verse 17 begins, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We join me as we pray this morning. Father, we, first of all, just join our hearts together and say thank you. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the blessing of this day. And thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here together in this place at this hour with these folks to worship, to sing praises to your name, to hear from you. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. We thank you that you provide us every blessing of life, that you meet all of our needs. And that in you we don't lack anything. So as we pause to worship and we give thanks to you with our hearts, Lord, help us this morning to worship you. Lord, that we would see you high and lifted up. That you would work among your people by your spirit. And that it would not just be another come and go day. But it would be a time when we could leave and say that truly we have been in the presence of the Lord. We pray for other brothers and sisters that meet in our community, to meet in our state, and to meet even around the world. That as they gather together or gather together, that they have enjoyed fellowship and spent time in your presence, that you would encourage them, you would strengthen them, you would help them to, to keep doing what you call them to do. That they would not lose heart, but continue to serve you and to love Lord, we pray for, for our country. We ask that you would bring revival. We ask that you would change our hearts and you would change the hearts of other Christians, that we would become serious about our, our faith, that we wouldn't take lightly the blessings that you've given us, that we wouldn't trample on your grace, that we would, Lord, out of devotion and love, reach out with your love and service and love, that we would speak the truth of the gospel as we have the opportunity. Lord, we pray that you would bring revival and transformation in our in our government from the president, the vice president, the Congress, the courts, our state government, our governor, our state legislature, the county officials, even our city officials. Or that you would bless them with wisdom and that they would listen to the words that you would speak. And Lord, we pray that you would open blind eyes and you would shine light into darkness and you would bring transformation. And that many would be, be saved. And you would revive us again. Or we pray for these shoeboxes that are collected in front of us. We thank you that we can participate in your work of blessing. And as we gather together just a few things and place them in the box, we trust them to you. Just much like the young boy with the loaves and the fish. 
Lord, it's not much, but in your hands it can do great things. And so in your name, we send out these boxes to be tools for ministry, tools for sharing the good news of the gospel, for your glory. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to give. To return just a little bit of what you've blessed us with to you in honor of you and obedience to you. That you can take that and multiply and use it for work here in, in our church across Timber, in our county, in our state, and nation, and around the world. Lord, help us always remember that you are the source of everything that we have and that you allow us just to be stewards of it for only a moment. So we ask, we ask that we bless our offering. Lord, thank you for your goodness. And as we continue to worship this morning, Lord, help us to see you for who you are. And Lord, help us to be changed and transformed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
And so the, the main idea that I want you to, to get is just simply this. A growing disciple prunes selfish desires to make room for more of God's presence and his power. And you'll catch that word more in just a minute when we read from John 15. In fact, let's go ahead and do that right now. John 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus, speaking to his disciples and speaking to us today, says this. I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus, we thank you this morning for the words that you have spoken about a vine, a vine dresser, and branches. And we ask that from the pages of Scripture, by the power of your Spirit, you would teach us as we gather together this morning as your people, as we look at this serious and exciting topic of pruning selfish desires faithfully, of conforming ourselves into the image of Jesus. Help us to listen, help me to speak, and Lord, reveal your truth and change us by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a growing disciple prunes selfish desires to make room for more of God's presence in his power. And so let me just start by defining pruning. It's the first point in your outline. Pruning removes anything in conflict with God's plan and purpose. So pruning removes anything in conflict with God's plan and his purpose. Now to illustrate this, Jesus talking to his disciples talks, tells about a vine dresser, a vine and branches. And he identifies the vine dresser or some Translations call him a gardener or a master gardener, is God the Father. Jesus himself is the vine, and then his disciples are branches. And he talks about the process of trimming away branches that are dead, or those that are less fruitful, to make room for more fruit. And that process is called pruning. Now, I don't know if you've ever pruned a tree, but if you go out there and you have a saw or some of those, those shears, when you start trimming off branches, you would immediately think, or I do, that that would make the plant weaker. But actually, in truth, it helps it to grow stronger. Because if you selectively trim away those weaker branches, or maybe the dead branches, you provide more life to the rest of the vine. Now that word pruning, in the, in, or that word trimming away, just means to, to trim away 
or to cleanse or to purify. So it has a bit of a double meaning. It not only means to cut something off of, but it also has the idea of cleaning or purifying something. So in a way, you can say that pruning cleans up a vine so it can bear more fruit. Now, if we were to be a, a vine dresser and have a vineyard, we would realize that the goal of having a vineyard is to do what? To make grapes, right? We're not trying to grow nice, beautiful leaves. We're not trying to grow big, lush plants. No, at the end of the day, what they're looking for is more grapes. And so the vine dresser would carefully go by and trim away those branches that are, are dead or the ones that maybe don't produce very many grapes to produce a healthier vine that would make more grapes. And so Jesus tells us and his disciples that every branch that does bear fruit, so every branch that has some fruit, he prunes it so it can bear more fruit. And so what you have is a progression that some fruit moving toward more fruit. So there's an expectation that every branch on the vine will produce at least some fruit. In fact, Jesus tells us if there's no fruit on the vine, what happens? Those branches are cut off, stacked, and burned. Speaking to the fact that those that aren't a true disciple, you know, are, are not truly in Christ. They're in a sense dead wood. When we apply that to our personal life, think about those situations, those things in our life, those, those sins, those habits that drain our health and lead to trouble. Just like on a plant, it would drain the life and lead to disease. So we see that the branches of the vine have a purpose. They're supposed to be connected to the vine. So branch connected to vine, otherwise they're going to die. So they can sustain life and then to bear fruit. To bear grapes in this idea. So Jesus uses this picture of, you know, a vine branches and fruit to describe how the Lord relates to his people. And we come across the idea that the Lord does indeed prune his people, that he trims away parts of us. He calls you and I to be holy and, and set apart. That he wants us to be ready for whatever he has in store for us. And over time, he works in us to, to remove things from our lives that we don't need to have in our lives, to make more room to grow in Jesus and to bear more fruit. And another word for that is a big word, and that word is, is sanctification. See, when we're saved, we're set apart for God's special purpose. We're taken from the world and we're set into the kingdom of life, and God says, you are set apart for my plans and my purpose. At that moment, when you have faith in Jesus, you're made right with God, you're given new life, that you are clean before the presence of God because of the righteousness of Christ. In fact, in verse 3, Jesus tells the disciples, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. But we can say, in a sense, that we are clean because of what God has done in our life. But over time, there's still some cleaning up to do. Now, probably most ladies have a special set of dishes in their cabinet. 
Some ladies may have special sets of dishes in their cabinet, um, depending on the situation and the season. Now, those are set apart for special purposes. You might have Christmas dishes. You might have Thanksgiving dishes. You might have special dishes that only the most important people get to eat on. Now, even though those are in the cabinet and set apart, when you pull them out and you get ready to use them, most times you still have to wash them because what happens over time? Dust. And so dishes can be set apart for a special purpose, but before we use them, we still take time to clean them up. And in the Christian life, we're still the same way. God set us up on the top shelf for his use, but over time, we still have to do some cleaning up in our lives. And that work that God does to sanctify us, it frees us up from sinful habits, from things that we don't need to do, and it's a work to transform us to be more like Jesus. Listen to what Jesus, listen to, excuse me, listen to what Paul said when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so God's work of sanctification and purification works to take those that are set apart as holy, that belong to Jesus, to ready them to be useful and ready for work. And the more that we are sanctified, transformed into the image of Jesus, the more fruit there will be in our lives by the fruit, by the power of the Spirit. So if we're looking at our lives and thinking what in the world needs to be trimmed away, the first thing is to jump out off the page of you is that our sin gets in the way. See, our sin would be like those dead branches that constantly work against the life that is in us. Now here's the problem. If we ignore our sin or don't deal with our sin, it doesn't just go away. It still sits there. And in fact, it doesn't just sit there. It grows. And it grows. And it leads to more problems over time. And the only only remedy that we have, the only way that we can cut away that sin and make a clean break is God's gift of repentance saying that it has to go, that we would we would cut it off from our lives and say, God, I'm no longer going this way. I'm going to turn and walk your way. And it's a continual process. There's a continual recognition of things that need to go, acknowledging they need to go, and then making a break and saying, God, I repent from those things. So sin. And I think what it's going to require in my life and in your life is, is moving away from the Lord just forgive me for my sins. That we just, you know, look at our life and say, oh God, you know, I'm a sinner, forgive me of my sins. And that we take honest time before God to become more specific about our sins. See, it's easy to say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. But it's a little more challenging to say, God, forgive me for being a selfish brute, you know, to my wife when I should have been loving. God, forgive me for being a jerk on the road when I was mad because that person turned in front of me. See, it's a little more difficult when we become specific about our sins, but when we become more specific with our sins, asking for repentance and forgiveness, as God trims those branches off for us, then there's more room for God's work, more room 
for growth. But other things get in the way. Not just sin, but there's also our own agenda. Our selfishness can hinder our spiritual growth, which is in a way, you know, it is a sin in itself. Sometimes, you know, we become more concerned about how we look or how we feel. If we were thinking of ourselves as a branch, we would we would say, we want to be, you know, I want my leaves to look pretty. I want big, pretty green leaves that my outward appearance would, would look and people would come up to me and they'd say, oh my gosh, you, you really look like a Christian. But you, you know if you've done any gardening that it's not always the pretty green plant that produces the more fruit. Most fruit, sometimes it's those scraggly, almost dead-looking tomato vines that have little bitty leaves that are just, bore, just pouring over with tomatoes. And God, who's the master gardener, knows what is best. He knows what we need and what we don't. And when we choose to allow him to set the agenda then we realize there's things that we don't need that we think we do need. Now, busyness can also enter the equation and something else that, that God needs to, to trim away in our lives over time. If you're not careful, your schedule can quickly become overcrowded. You find yourself with way too many things to do and not near enough time to do them. And so as we trim less important things away from our calendars, it makes room for God's work the more important things. But you can see the exciting thing is when we get sin and we get ourselves out of the way, God has room to work. And as he prunes us, we're, we're cleansed. We look less like the world and more like Jesus. And we become closer in our relationship with Jesus. That abiding grows deeper and we bear more fruit. You know, when a gardener goes out to prune, he doesn't just randomly choose which branches to trim. It's, you know, it's not, I've got a coin in my pocket, I'm going to flip the coin and, and heads, this one goes, heads, it stays. No, it's very specific. The gardener knows what to look at. He knows what a healthy plant looks like. And he cuts away only what's necessary that would help the plant grow and would produce more fruit. And in the same way, the second thing in your outline is that when God prunes his people, it's with purpose. God prunes with purpose. I remember one time I was going out to, to trim the hedges in my front yard, and I realized pretty quickly that I didn't know where the stopping point was. I would trim a little bit, and it would look uneven, so I'd trim a little more, which made me quickly realize I would have never been a barber, um, because I would have a lot of bald men. Um, but I trimmed and trimmed, and before long, you know, I whittled a really pretty, you know, tree, well actually it was a giant tree that was kind of taken over the corner of our house, down to this stump with some branches on it. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have a plan before I started. I just started cutting. God doesn't do that. Thankfully, if you go to the doctor, surgeons don't generally do that. But because God knows us, and he wants what what's best for us, he helps us to cut away what's harmful. Because he wants us to be clean, holy, and blameless before him. In fact, when Paul wrote the, I can't even say that. When Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he said, "It's God's will for you to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be holy." When Jesus is praying 
to the Father in John 17. He says this beautiful prayer, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And so in a way, sanctification is conforming our life to the truth of God's word. And when we do that, our life changes. And the change agent is God's word. And the truth of God's word, God uses it like a precision instrument for for pruning. Now, I do know this about pruning trees. If you want to cut a tree, you need a sharp saw. One, for safety. Two, because you want to make a clean cut to make sure it doesn't damage the tree. And third, it saves time and a whole lot of frustration to have a good, sharp saw. Well, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 gives us a little bit of insight into the sharp weapon instrument that God uses. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Another way of saying that when we hold up our lives against the truth of God's word, it quickly exposes who we are and who we are not. All the blemishes, all the rotten spots, all the things that need to go become crystal clear. I don't even know if they did this or not, but I remember when I was in elementary school, and this may or not be relevant to you, but I'm going to tell you. Anyway, every year the dentist would come to school and we would have an assembly. And we would get a toothbrush, and we would get this weird, almost chalky, candy thing that we were supposed to chew up, and then we'd go look in the mirror. And it would show you how sorry a job you did of brushing your, your teeth. You know, you would, it would light up the plaque that you didn't get out. And in a similar way, but much more powerfully, God's Word, when we read God's Word, and we're honest before it, it's going to reveal who we are down to the very minute details because God's word is perfect. Every word on every page is true. It's sharp. It cuts. And God reveals in the pages of this book everything that you and I need to live a godly life. But it's not just a perfect weapon. It's precise. It cuts deep is what the passage there in Hebrew says, into our inner thoughts and desires, and it exposes who we really are. It cuts beyond the surface level pretense that we have to the very heart of who we are. And when we see something in our life and we can recognize quickly that doesn't line up to the truth of God's word, then guess what? It needs to be pruned. I've been amazed in, in the last years about the advancements in in laser surgery. Now, you know, robots, you know, somewhat operated by doctors have the ability with great accuracy and precision to do these procedures almost flawlessly. And they can do work in just very small areas. But I'm here to tell you that the work that God's Word wants to do in your life is better than any laser surgery that's ever created because it always hits where it aims. It never misses and it always does exactly what God God intends. But much like surgery, when God prunes, it's, it's painful work. 
Now, most children, and probably a lot of adults, don't like to go get shots. Why? Hurts. Very simple. We want the benefit of what's good for us, but most times we don't want to do something that will hurt. And so while pruning hurts, we have to also understand that it's good for us because God uses it to grow us, to bring us back to our primary purpose. And when we're pruned, it promotes two things. First, it helps us to grow in Christ. See, when we're born again in Jesus, we don't, we're not immediately made spiritual adults, mature. No, there's a, a growing process. We're, we're infants, and our goal is to grow up in Jesus, and that's a lifelong process. That's why Peter writes to us in 2 Peter 3, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to keep growing. And the measure of that growth is Jesus, the very person of Jesus. And so a good you know, question, reflection to ask is sometimes, do I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday? And that picture in Ephesians is the goal is mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus is the scales, he's the ruler, he's the model. And that growth keeps on going all our lives, and the process continues up to the very point when we see Jesus face to face. So pruning helps us to grow in Jesus, but also allows us to bear more fruit. Now Jesus makes it clear that if you're a disciple, there will be some fruit in your life. Now, that fruit may be small and barely recognizable, but there will be some fruit. In fact, he's also just as clear that if there's no fruit, then you're not a believer. And in our life, there's going to be seasons of greater fruitfulness, and there's going to be times of lesser. And the more of Jesus we experience in our life, the more fruit that we can expect. And when we prune or remove sin and self, we make more room for God's Spirit to work, for more fruit. See, everything God does has a purpose, and that, that applies to pruning, it applies to everything in life. He has a perfect plan, His way is best, when we don't think so, when we can't see it. And at the same time, God desires for us to choose to love and choose to serve doesn't you know push us around the globe like like robots or, or or pieces on a game board. He wants every believer to grow and bear fruit, but because he loves us, he gives us a choice. Do you want to willingly participate or do you choose not to? And the third thing you need to see is that God's people participate in this pruning process. Now I don't know about you, but if something hurts and it's something I don't like, then generally I'm going to do what I can to avoid that. Right? Because nobody likes to hurt, and really people don't like to do things they don't like. And sometimes we avoid God's work of cleansing in our lives because we might think in our head we know better than God does. No, I, I, think, I, I think I know. This is okay with me. I can handle this. Or maybe we just like what we're doing. And we don't want to stop. Or maybe we're just hardened and refused to listen to what God says. And at that point in our faith, our, our growth is, is slowed and the fruit is little. There's not much. 
See, because we have a part to play in, in pruning. The idea of abiding in Jesus implies the fact that we have submitted ourselves to the work of Jesus in our lives. So we've said, Master Gardener, I'm here and I want you to do your work in me. Let me just read two verses of encouragement, one from James and one from Peter. In James chapter 4, James says, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So submitting yourself to God. And in 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 5 or 6, he says, Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. When we humble ourselves before God, when we surrender ourselves to God, we're saying, God, we trust your ways best. Even when we don't like it. Even when it hurts. And so we have to submit ourselves to God's work. We have to be honest. We have to honestly look at our life. We mentioned it a minute ago, but I'll say it maybe a different way. If we ignore our sin or pretend it doesn't matter, it's never going to be enough. It won't go away. It only only grows. And when God shines a light on the sin in your life, being honest and you admit it's there and you do something about it, ignoring it is not the option. In fact, John, 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The writer of Proverbs says, whoever conceals or hides his transgressions or his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. See, when we're honest with God about our sin, we are willing to do something about it. And that something is to trust God's work and follow through with obedience. So you have submission, you have honesty, you have obedience. 1 John 1, 9 and 10 you don't have this memorized, written down on a card where you can carry it often, um, you need to. It's such a foundation to our life in Christ. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Five words at the beginning. If we confess our sins, and then God takes over. He, God the Father, Jesus, is faithful and just forgive us our sins, forgiveness, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness, cleansing. When we confess, we say, God, I don't want that, then we do our part in proving God is His part and it's perfect and we are clean. But if we say we have not sinned, we make Him alive and His word is not in us. So here's how the process works. God points out something in your life that needs to go. Another word we can say for that is the word conviction. When we do it correctly, we agree with God and turn from that. That's repentance. And then God does his pruning work in us. He forgives us and he cleanses us and it makes room for more fruit. We experience more of God's presence in our life and more of his power at work in us. Which brings us back to what we said at the beginning of growing disciples, which is really our goal, pruning selfish desires to make room for more of God's presence and power. We've looked at what it means, but really, it won't mean anything unless we ask ourselves honestly, am I 
faithfully pruning selfish desires. It's the difference between nodding along and saying that, yeah, that's right, and, and doing something about it. Because our growth in Christ, our usefulness in the kingdom depends on it. I won't take time to read it, but if you look in Ephesians 4, which we looked at earlier, it's the idea of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. With God's help and His power, stripping away the things from our former nature that need to go, putting on more of the Lord Jesus so He can do His work. Here's the encouraging thing. With God's help, in His power, you can prune away selfish desires and make room for more don't have to do it yourself. You can't. So let me just remind you of those three ways that we partner with God and pruning. We've already mentioned them, so I won't go into detail, but we submit ourselves to God. God, I'm yours. Do what you want. We're honest with ourselves. We have to be honest. And then we have to be obedient. So we say, God, examine me. Be honest when he says something. Confess it and then be obedient. Turn from it and turn toward Jesus. We spent the last five weeks looking at what a disciple looks like here at Cross Timber. If you haven't picked up one of these, I hope you you do. I think there's still some out there. If not, I'll make sure there are some. It just gives you these five questions. A good way to look at it on a daily basis. You put it in your Bible, that you use for your quiet time, you tape it on your mirror in the bathroom. But a disciple is rooted in God's word that, that there is a relationship between you and Jesus that is centered around the truth of his word. A disciple, a growing disciple, sows good seed weekly. That they're a light for Jesus where they go. They're sharing gospel seeds. They bear fruit consistently. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is evident in their life. Their shade and shelter for their, their neighbor. That having the heart and the compassion of Jesus, they do what they can with what they have to meet the needs of others. And they take holiness seriously and they prune selfish desires. That's the kind of disciple I want to be. But the question is, am I willing to make room for more of God's work in my life for that to be possible. And that's what pruning selfish desires is all about. We pray. Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for the gift of your word and the foolishness of preaching that in the midst of these things that you do speak you work so we trust in you we know that your word never returns to you void and so we ask that the things that were said here the work that you do by your spirit and the change hearts and God I know it's, it's close to one time help us to focus in and not miss what you might want to do in our hearts we ask you to help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we take a moment, you know, every week, if we pause before we go home and, and you know,
got to redeem them. For us, he'll pray, he'll say a little something, we'll stand up, we'll sing, and then we'll fold up our Bibles and we'll walk out, maybe we'll sing and sing. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, before you, you leave today, I just ask you to dwell on this question. God, am I, am I pruning selfish desires? Or am I just satisfied being in the way? Or do I want more? Do I want you to work more on me, Lord Jesus? Make me more to be like you so that I can be more you. And if that's your heart, if that's your desire, trust me, he will work with you alongside you. The process can still be challenging. I can't tell you that it won't hurt. But I can tell you the benefit of you. So don't walk out of here until you've, you've dealt with that question that we've looked at today. Some of you may just need to pray for something or someone, and the altar is always open. Some may be here today and, and just, you know, there's a decision that God wants you to make. And you know, I just encourage you not to put it off and be faithful to what He said to do. Or maybe, you know, this whole business about church is just, you got a lot of questions, or maybe. It still doesn't make sense, or maybe it's starting to make sense. And you just say, God, you know, I'd like to talk to someone. I have some questions. Um, I'd like to know, and we'd like to, to put you in contact with someone that can help you, or I'd like to talk to you to pray with you. Um, whatever you know, God intends to do, I, I know that he'll do it, but trust will be obedient. But I do ask that you to join in standing. We're going to sing. And as God sings, as we sing, God works, help us respond. gather together and pray the Lord's blessings on you this week as you go the Lord